Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. What you're about to hear is part of a series that Adam and I do with real estate forms as part of their Ref Club platform called Ask the Experts and or Thinkins. So please stick tuned for after the interview where Adam and I will still do the after show where we digest the conversation that we had. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, this is Adam. Just want to jump in as well before we get into the main part of the interview here. It's worth mentioning that the gap in time from our recording date, which was in March, and now our release date, which is in May, is longer than we normally like. And the topic we covered with Michael was a bit time sensitive. So it's worth mentioning the market has moved somewhat since we recorded this. That being said, there is still a lot of great content in here, especially on the Quebec market. So I hope you do enjoy it. Welcome to Ask the Experts, part of our first national perspective series where once a month, Adam and I get an opportunity to interview industry leaders from our team at First National. Today's guest is a gentleman by the name of Michael Williams, who's our vice president of regional vice president of the Quebec and Atlantic Canada region. I had to pull this off our website. Michael is a business builder, an impassioned leader, and a trusted expert expertise. That's all you need to know about Michael. This is exciting, of course, for Adam and I. We like these events. Last month, of course, we had Brian Kimmel on, who's our retirement home expert. We kind of talked about retirement homes in general and from a financing perspective. Today, we brought Michael on to kind of talk about just the state of the financing industry around the country. And then we're going to kind of dive into his neck of the woods to kind of talk about what's transpiring in the Quebec region. So again, thanks, Michael, for joining us. Happy to have you on here. Great. Happy to be here. So Michael, this is the first time we had the pleasure of interviewing you. And typically when we have new guests, Adam and I like to kind of look backwards first and just kind of set the stage for who you are. Why do we care what you think about what's going on in the industry? So maybe just maybe give us a five minute background on kind of how did you end up becoming sort of the leader of our, uh, our sort of entire coast region? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I've always had a passion in real estate since I was a kid. And uh, long story short, after I finished my MBA at McGill, I joined the TD Bank in the commercial banking division. And in commercial banking at the time, we're as commercial bankers, although the business is primarily lending to businesses, we did have the ability to do smaller real estate deals. And the opportunity really arised for me in real estate in 08. After the CMBS crash, TD was basically, you know, a big player in the CMBS world. And after 08, when that business pretty much evaporated overnight, TD Bank made a decision to say, you know what, we like real estate and we're going to start lending on our balance sheet. So they basically started an on-book program when liquidity was getting you know, pulled back, credit was thin, TD Bank being a well-capitalized bank decided, you know what, we're going to come full force into real estate and start lending in real estate in the heat of the credit crisis on the balance sheet. And basically, I got the opportunity since I was doing you know, real estate deals in the commercial bank. TD is very prone to promote from within. And at the uh, ripe age of 28 years old, I was asked to uh, basically start up the origination uh, group for TD for Quebec and uh, basically build the business from scratch. And it was a great experience. It's funny, in 08, 09, it was a different world from today in that capital was scarce and we were basically dictating terms and pricing. And today is, is very different where spreads are getting thinner and thinner and uh, we're begging for deals a little bit from our clients. What was it like being such a young individual but trying to take over a team? I'm sure a lot of your staff were older than you. How did you manage through that? At that point in time, liquidity was scarce in the market 
and we're basically dictating terms and pricing. And it's completely different today, right? It's the complete opposite, actually. Tons of liquidity in the market and pressure on spreads downwards. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, it was, you know, I knew the market fairly well. I had done a lot of real estate deals on the smaller scale within the commercial banks. So I came with a good reputation from within. So that was pretty easy transition. And at the end of the day, we're starting from scratch, right? So we're already at the bottom and couldn't go lower. So whatever I did bring in and whatever business we did originate was positive. So it was a great experience and it was, it was a good run. Before we get on as well, we probably should mention as well, there's a, for the Ref Club members, there is the opportunity to ask Michael questions at the end. So whatever burning question you have in your heart regarding finance or Quebec or what it was like coming out of you know a previous crisis, save them for the end, but there will be the opportunity. So start thinking about that if you're a Ref Club member and watch live today. I'm just moving through Michael's career. So you left TD, like you joined National Bank yeah. for a couple of years and then joined First National. That's correct. So just to finish on my career in real estate. So after TD, I love TD, but the reality is TD is a Toronto-based institution with further opportunities would involve me moving to Toronto. And although I'm an Anglophone, I'm a born and raised Montrealer, love Montreal. I just didn't have the heart to leave la belle province, as we say. So, you know, National Bank came knocking at the door and obviously National Bank being a Quebec Montreal-based lender, I figured I might as well, given I want to stay in Montreal, I'll join National Bank, which I did, which was a great experience. And I had no intentions to leave, but there was such a great opportunity to join First National to head up their Quebec team at that point. And after a long, long discussions with Jeremy, who I'm sure many of you know, who was our leader on the commercial side, I was just convinced to just join First National. It's been over three years now that I've been at First National, and we've experienced a tremendous growth and success in the Quebec market. We've got a great team, and it's been fun increasing our footprint here. So before you got kicked off the system and uh, luckily got brought back in, we were talking a little bit about CMHC interest rates. You know, I think at this point, we could probably jump into the lending environment. And given First Nationals' you know, prominence in CMHC and apartment lending, we're going to start there. Of course, that's our favorite topic. Although for anybody who's not into apartments, we will, of course, get into some of the other asset classes. We were discussing a little bit how the, the, you know, the bond volatility is causing a lot of issues with you know, trying to lock in interest rates and that in a volatile environment, then maybe spread doesn't matter as much. If one spread is five basis points different than another, you can lose that, you know, over lunchtime in the current environment. So what are your thoughts on CMHC and pricing right now in this environment? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the fact that bonds are so volatile in the market and going up so quickly, for sure that that's an issue because as everyone knows, when we qualify loans at CMHC, we qualify with ceiling rates. And when you see bonds jump up 60, 70 basis points in such a short span, I don't think anybody predicted that. And what happens is that we end up busting those ceiling rates and having to maybe go back to CMHC and cut loan amounts. So that's an issue for borrowers. But the fact that you know our early rate lock program could help out with that, right? So if clients see that bonds are going up and worried about the volatility and worried about maybe busting their ceiling rate and having to get a loan cut, the fact that we have an early rate lock program you know, is something really interesting for our clients that uh, they're taking advantage of. So that's something that we're talking a lot about with our clients. Because I remember just you know a couple of months ago, talking about this, it wasn't so much the flare of the day because I think everybody thought, oh, rates are low, they'll stay low and they're not moving, they're not going anywhere. But I think this massive jump and volatility has, you know, really had clients go back to the drawing board and think, well, wait a minute, you know, maybe I should early rate lock or maybe I do have to have a strategy for fixing my rates. So that's been a, you know, a discussion we have more and more nowadays that's completely changed from just a couple months ago. Yeah, you know, it's, it is interesting. And those that have listened to Adam and I over the years having this conversation, we, we fight so hard to beat down the concept that we are a commodity, right? That all mortgages are created equal. And there's lots of ways to dispel that. But the reason I think it gets that sort of attachment is because it's just about a number, 
what's your rate? What's your rate? What's your spread? And in this kind of environment, you know, often we'll have these discussions about two basis points on a spread, one basis point on a spread. And in that hour conversation, you know, the interest rates have gone up 10 basis points. And so, so at times it, it really is about just focusing on like, getting your interest rate locked, mitigating that interest rate risk, locking in that significant cost of capital. At the end of the day, you know, it's a very capital intensive real estate is a very capital intensive market and locking in that cost of capital is so critical. And of course, we're here to help you do that. You know, maybe let's transition to what we're seeing in the conventional space. That's another part of the marketplace. We talk about CMC in one instance, the uninsured market, we're seeing an incredible amount of liquidity. Michael referenced it a little bit in his sort of intro about when he entered the industry, there was no liquidity and you could pick a price. And now it's almost the opposite. You know, and, and I would suggest what's happened is there was so much money kind of sitting idle throughout 2020 as people were kind of get a sense of what's transpiring with COVID. Now we're cutting through, vaccines are coming out, and the capital is looking for a place, looking for a home, and it's really pushing down conventional spreads. I mean, and just for generic numbers, and you can't quote me on this, of course, but at some point in mid-COVID, like let's call it, you know, this time last year, or maybe a little bit later, spreads were in the 170 to 200 to 220 range, like let's call it mid to low 200s or peg it at 200, which would be at the time, probably an all-in interest rate of two and a half to three percent. Now spreads are coming down quite significantly to the 140, 150, sometimes 130 range that we're seeing from some of our competitors. And that is almost historic lows. Like I think it's almost been a decade since we've seen spreads that low. And that really is just a reality of so much capital and so much liquidity in the marketplace looking for a way to get deployed. Michael, what are you seeing? Maybe reference it to the Quebec market. Is it the same that you're seeing in your region or is it varied at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely a good time to be a, a bore right now, but I would further say that low spreads on conventional, yes, but for quality assets, right? I mean, if you're in industrial space, multi-res, spreads in this space are super low. Everybody's chasing these assets. At the end of the day, banks have money to lend. Life goes have funds to lend out as well. And everybody's chasing quality assets. And they're all looking to also diversify their asset allocation in their books, right? So if they're overweight in retail or other assets that are not faring as well or considered riskier at this point, they're chasing those quality industrial deals or multi-res assets to kind of diversify the risk in their portfolio. And they're willing to get very aggressive in spreads for these type of assets. But you know, on the flip side, on the retail side, there's less capital chasing those assets and higher spreads. And you know, there's still money for these assets. I just think it's really covenant driven for those assets. But I definitely wouldn't say spreads are as low for an office or a retail deal right now. Well, while we're discussing the topics of you know office and retail, which again, Michael, as you said, it's not that there's no money, it's just a bit of a yellow light for a lot of lenders. You know, what risk mitigants are you seeing in loans? Like I assume where there's no extended AMs, LTVs probably getting pulled back, but what are you seeing to moderate some of the risk in those two asset classes? Yeah, for sure. I know like I have a lot of colleagues and personal friends who are on the banking side as well in life goes and they're doing a lot of more sensitivity analysis. They're limiting LTV and they're very covenant focused. Like the guarantor. And the covenant behind the deal is critical, more critical than ever, I would say, at this point for those type of assets. And yeah, I mean, higher debt service coverage, at the end of the day, they're going to do sensitive analysis of certain tenants leave. Will they still meet you know, at least a, a 1.1 debt service? So those type of sensitive analysis are a lot more stringent right now. Covenant focus, liquidity, and portfolio analysis. So the portfolio analysis on the guarantor and the covenant, they want to make sure that they have a full picture of the portfolio and make sure it's healthy. They want to make sure that there's no other assets in the portfolio that are bleeding a lot. And by giving this financing on this retail asset, they're basically going to be deploying that capital into a, a really weak asset that's burning a lot of cash. 
So I think lenders are focusing more on the big picture to make sure that the portfolio of the clients as a whole is still healthy. And the mitigants are LTV, higher debt service requirements, and uh, maybe lower AMs. But for sure, covenant focused and more analysis on the whole portfolio to make sure it's, their clients can weather any storm that might come about. I mean, we see this third wave happening in Europe, right? So we hope we don't get there, but it is a potential that could happen. And I think lenders just want to make sure that the people behind those deals are strong enough to support that storm. Yeah, I mean, I I would agree. It's almost, I mean, this is kind of an old story now, but it's sort of a have it, have not story, right? There's retail and office on one side and then industrial and multifamily on the other. There is a lot of capital chasing those stronger assets. And not that the retail and office loans can't find a home, but there's certainly a premium, even if you have a very strong covenant, even if that covenant is very strong, there's just a premium to be attached to any sort of retail and office portfolio. And yeah, to your point, Michael, a third wave, what does that do? Like, you know, we always feel like everybody's on their last straw or hanging on by a thread, whatever analogy you want to use. Well, what will a third wave do to some of those businesses that are just trying to survive, you know, by the skin of their teeth, so to speak? You know, let's finish off this conversation about spreads. I find it interesting, the delta between second mortgages and first mortgages. And, you know, sometimes as first mortgages are a little bit more easy to understand in the sense that there's an indices and there's a spread and the spread is driven by sort of the liquidity in the marketplace and the indices is just driven by the bond market. And so you can add the two together and you find out what your sort of all in coupon is. Second mortgages don't necessarily work that way. They're usually more just coupon driven. The lenders that participate, First National being one of them in the second mortgage market, don't necessarily work on a spread in indices. It's really more of an all-in yield that they're trying to achieve for whatever their motivations of their capital behind the scenes are. And I haven't really felt second mortgage spreads or second mortgage coupons, interest rates, coming in that much. So I think first mortgage rates are in at a little bit, uh, but that space between first mortgages and second mortgages has actually maybe increased a little bit. What are you seeing, Michael, in that particular context? Yeah, that's a good thing. I mean, the reality, I think, for example, the opportunity to second mortgages, if everybody's chasing multi-res assets and being aggressive, they're also being aggressive on loan amounts. CMHE has followed the market fairly well as well. So loan amounts coming out of CMHE are also fairly to market. So that doesn't leave a whole lot of room to add second ranks behind those assets. And then when you're looking at the retail stuff, not everybody's chasing to do second ranks on that. And if they are, they want more yield for it. So I think that's how I would kind of explain it a little bit in my view from what I'm seeing. But I don't know if you're seeing something different on your end, Adam or Aaron, but that's kind of my view on it, what's happening. Yeah, I mean, it, it is an interesting one. And we've talked about it you know, amongst uh, my team. And it is a little baffling why there's, you're not seeing more activity in that space. The other one, I, there's a lot about COVID and the way the markets reacted that I'll admit, you know, I didn't see coming, but I'm not an expert. But I think that the experts also did not see it coming. And you know, the other one would be construction spreads. If there was any sector that probably should have tampened down immediately during COVID, it would have been construction projects. And we've not seen that happen in industrial, not seen that happen in multifamily. And if anything, the spreads are probably slightly tighter now than they were back in March. And so I know there's a lot of construction going on in Montreal, Michael. So maybe you can comment on what you're seeing with construction finance. Yeah, kind of the same thing. So Quebec, Montreal added the most number of apartments in 2020, I think close to 15,000, which was a record addition of new apartments being built. So, And lenders are aggressive at that because, again, I just think they have capital to deploy. And, you know, there's not many assets that they're willing to lend on the construction side other than industrial and multi-res. There's not much office being built. There's no retail. So where do they put the capital? Everybody's chasing at these great multi-res or industrial deals. And of course, logically, that's driving down spreads. So we've seen 
conventional spreads on construction deals for industrial and multi-res really come tight, probably the tightest I've ever seen, to be honest. And that's the reason why, in my opinion, I mean, there's just a lot of capital chasing those quality deals and the market is tighter in terms of good deals right now, mainly limited to industrial and multi-res. I mean, it goes back to Aaron's theory about all the pent-up capital needing to find a home and they want to get into, you know, the one of the buzz terms, I think, for 2020 was best and sheds. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of money trying to seek a home there. But yeah, I agree on that front as well that yeah, the construction side is super active. It barely slowed down. And you know, we didn't see too many projects get sidelined as a result of COVID. So I added to the long list of things what unexpected but positive outcomes from COVID. Aaron, you got a question for Michael? Yeah, well, yeah. So this is self-serving. And maybe this is a good segue <laughs> into the second half of our conversation. And, and let me just qualify. I mean, everybody I think is familiar with us. We try really, really hard not to make these sort of first national advertisements. Like that is not the point. We're trying to share information about what's transpiring in the marketplace. And I honestly was thinking this and then I realized it was self-serving. So I'm classifying it so it doesn't feel like it is. But the reality is all this capital is finding homes. Like it is very active in the marketplace. And we've seen it every year this happens where there are lenders that are have a big pool or pile of cash that they need to get out. They get it deployed and then the market shifts and it happens every year. So this environment we're feeling right now where it is just incredibly tight, whether it's on the CMHC side, the insurance side or the construction side, there's just a ton of capital chasing opportunities, but that will not last forever. So the pitch is, if you've got an opportunity right now, get it in, get it financed, call us, we'll give, we'll give you some financing. I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but I think it is the reality, right? If I'm giving advice to a client, I'm saying like, it's just not going to end up, it's not going to stay like this forever. If you're humming and hawing, whether you need to refinance or purchase or whatever, the market will change. It always changes every year. There's different cycles throughout the year. Right now, we're just in a really kind of uh, aggressive, tight environment. Let's move on. So the Quebec market, Michael, like, why don't we start with sort of your hometown, Montreal? Maybe let's focus on multifamily to start, because I know that is kind of one of our main focuses. How is the Montreal market? And let me ask about downtown first, because in my opinion, that's probably the most interesting story. I think viewers or listeners have heard this you know, before. Of course, the direct impact of immigration, net migration to Quebec and foreign students has had a, a direct impact on the rental market, especially downtown. I mean, it went from you know last year at this time, downtown Montreal had a vacancy rate under one and a half percent. And if you look at it today... Maybe if I segregate it between size of building, I mean, you know, 50 units to 99 units, it went from, I think, 2% vacancy or 1.5 to almost 10%. And the units of 100 units or more downtown went from 1.8% to over 11%. And that's a, a direct impact, of course, from the, you know, pretty much shutdown of net migration and foreign students. But, you know, it's not all doom and gloom, right? I mean, if you look at the island as a whole, vacancy did go from historical low of 1.6%, it doubled to 32 and if you include the Greater Montreal area, you know, the overall, including Island and Greater Montreal, it's at 2.7% all in vacancy. So it's not all doom and gloom. Downtown has suffered for sure. But, you know, like Greater Montreal is performing really well. I mean, if you look at the, the suburbs, just North Shore, South Shore, average vacancy rate is stable at 1.2 to 1.5%. So, I mean, the good news is, is that for those who haven't seen it, McGill University announced at the end of the month of February that they fully plan to be back in class in September. Concordia is making their announcement in May, but has indicated that they're looking to also resume on-campus uh, teaching and classes. So, I mean, I think there is the light at the end of the tunnel here. I think the downtown will come back. Montreal will get, you know, I believe Montreal is a city that will bounce back the quickest. 
of all the major cities in Canada. I know that's a bold statement, but you know I'm a little biased, but I just feel that Montreal has so much to offer and it had so much momentum pre-COVID that it's just going to, it's a lure, it's going to just you know attract people back to the city. And yeah, I mean, the only wild card, of course, is this third wave that I mentioned. You know, Europe is seeing it. We hope it's not going to come here. But overall, we've held up pretty well. Absorption rates are overall good. And for those vacant units, you know, in downtown Montreal, I would say it's a good opportunity for the boards to maybe invest in renovating those units. And for when the market does come back, and as we've done on many deals, we've offered bridge financings to help facilitate those CapEx programs. And once it gets stabilized, the markets come back. You know, I think it'd be a worthwhile investment for those who truly believe that Montreal will come back. One of the things I find so interesting about the Montreal market, particularly apartments, is well, one, just the size. Like, I, this number always blows me away. And, and I probably should refresh this figures, but there's something like 130 to 140,000 apartment units in the country. And there are 70,000 apartment units in like the greater Montreal area. Like almost half the number of apartment units in the country exist just in Montreal. And it is a renter's culture, right? Like that it is just a different culture than the rest of the country. And so that would lead me to believe, I mean, if you looked at all the downtown core vacancy data, Montreal certainly had the largest spike, but I think that's a virtue of the fact that, you know, it is a transient culture. It's a renter's culture. So it's easier for people to just kind of vacate, go somewhere else in the event of, or as a result of the pandemic. And then to your point, Michael, I think as the downtown core vibrancy comes back, it'll have the same sort of reverse flood back into the marketplace or back into the downtown core, I should say. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, people are dying. You know, Quebecers are very uh, social, social people, as, as we all are. But, you know, I think people just want to be with people and the whole joie de vivre in Quebec that we have, you know, people are just going to die to come back to downtown and see it vibrant again. And I truly believe it's going to come back and people will flock back to downtown. I, I know there's this whole thought that, oh, will downtown ever regain its, you know, pre-COVID status? I believe so. I believe it will. And yeah, I mean, it starts with schools opening and hopefully that the vaccine rolls out and people get confidence to get out more and it will come back. I truly believe it will come back. Before we move on from you know, Montreal and apartments, I know that you and your team recently financed the second largest transaction in Quebec history. I'd love to hear some details on that before we jump into some of the other finer points of the Quebec market. Yeah, this was a huge success of ours at First National. So there was, that's correct, the second largest multi-res transaction in the history of Quebec. It was a, a 72 property portfolio acquisition price of 300 million with very, very tight deadlines, right? Tight timelines to close. And basically, you know, it's no secret the delays at CMHE are quite long right now. So uh, the borrower was looking for an option to get financing to close this transaction in a short period of time. And we were able to come to the table and finance ourselves with our various investor sources behind us to come to finance that transaction on a very short timeline. So that was completed. Part closed uh, right before December and the other part closed in January. And that was a huge success. And it was, you know, we were hit with a lot of challenges, but the board was excellent at working with us. And we were able to pivot at all the challenges that were presented to us. And we closed uh, on the timelines that were given to us. So that, that was really proud to say that First National is part of that transaction. And we look forward to helping the client to CMHE with that. Yeah, great value add for that client to be able to close on their transaction, you know, obviously mitigate some interest rate risk, mitigate obviously losing the transaction at all. And did they do an early rate lock on that, Michael? Are we still waiting for that? No, not yet. Right now we're still at CMHE, so there's uh, there's no early rate lock yet, but that should, certainly will be something we'll be offering to the borrower as we get closer to our CMHE approvals. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's no, a great story. Why don't we kind of move around a little bit? Do you want to just talk about Gatineau and just what's transpiring there? Or, you know, maybe other aspects of Montreal? We talked about the core, but are there any other interesting tidbits that you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, Gatineau is an interesting market, right? Gatineau has performed super well. I mean, vacancy went from, you know, it was already a very tight market in terms of vacancy at, you know, I think 1.5% pre-COVID. Last year, you know, stats just came out and it jumped to like 1.6%. So minor increase. That market has performed extremely well. Rents are up. Absorption rate is incredible. What's interesting about Gatineau is that people rent all times of the year. There's, you know, Montreal has really that July 1st kind of move-in date. And that's kind of the, the key area or key time of year where people are moving. But we're seeing and we're active in Gatineau. There's people moving all the time in Gatineau. And its absorption rate is very good. It's year-round. And, you know, I think there's this spillover effect from Ottawa. I think people are looking for quality product, which Gatineau hasn't really built a lot of quality product in the last couple of years. It's only started in the last couple of years. So there's a lot of demand for this type of product and it's performed extremely well. Like we're very active in that market and it's quite interesting to see what's happening. And we're also seeing capital starting to get interested to make purchases there, right? I mean, some of our borrowers have got exceptional offers from institutional players that maybe were shying away from Gatineau, but I think are now starting to take a hard look at purchasing assets there. Quebec City, I mean, if I just move up to Quebec City, I mean, Quebec City is pretty, that stable market. I mean, its vacancy rate has jumped a little bit, I think from 25 to 2.7%. I think absorption rate there for rentals is slower. And there is a lot of development on the south shore of Quebec City right now. But I think absorption rate is a little slower. But overall, I think it's a pretty stable market. We haven't seen big waves of high vacancy spikes in that market. And it's a market we're also active in. Yeah, I mean, it is worth mentioning, of course, that yeah, straight across the board, obviously, there's a little bit of softening in the market, but none of these numbers are terrifying or catastrophic for Quebec as a whole. But on that topic, I know you are Quebecer through and through, and I fully believe the recovery story and can see it coming. But what challenges do you see in the market right now? I mean, for sure. I mean, the, the biggest challenge is just we got to open, we got to open up uh, the economy, right? And I get it. We don't want to open up too fast. And, you know, we made all these, Quebec has probably had the strictest lockdown measures. I mean, we're still in curfew, right? Till eight o'clock. We, everybody's got to be in their homes. Good news is I hear there's going to be an announcement today where they're going to lift that to 930 at night. So that's positive. My fingers are crossed for that announcement tonight. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just the, the challenges will be, I guess, time. Time is a challenge now, right? Like things are not going to change overnight. It will take time for it to come back. And I think it's Boars have to be positioned to weather that storm a little bit longer. And I think those that plan out their capital and their debt and manage it accordingly and responsibly will come out big winners. And I think they just have to have a bit of a longer term plan and strategy. And if they wait and plan properly, I think they'll come out big winners in Montreal. You know, we should probably talk a little bit about East Coast as well, because that falls within your purview. But, you know, Michael, before we go there, I just, we haven't really talked about it at all. So I thought we'd just throw some numbers around. And of course, these are all kind of general numbers. But how have cap rates responded during this? We've had vacancy spikes, sort of some flattening of rents. Are cap rates still holding strong? I mean, I know that the market's still active. There are definitely transactions going on. Are you seeing your clients or property owners sort of taking a longer view perspective? And, you know, cap rates are not necessarily as, I guess, important to the underwriting of the deal? Yeah, I would say cap rates are still definitely low. I mean, I haven't seen any cap rates increase. I think they've actually decreased a little bit. And yeah, I think that's just people's longer term view, right? I mean, if they're going in at a cap rate of sub four today, 
I think people are viewing Montreal coming back and continuing its momentum it had pre-COVID. You have to remember that Montreal never had those four dollar, four and a quarter rents like Toronto did. I mean, you know, we had very low threes, so I think there still was runway for rents to come up there, and I think people see that and believe in that. There's still an aging inventory in Montreal, a lot of a lot of opportunity to renovate and create value. So I think, yeah, people are taking a longer term view. They realize maybe that it's an opportunity right now to get in and continue buying. And when the market comes back, they'll be well positioned. So as a counterpart, Michael, do you think that rising interest rates will push cap rates in the other direction? And that could be, of course, a national question because it's applicable to all markets. Yeah, I mean, we have to remember, so everybody's saying, oh, you know, bonds went up 70 basis points, including myself. But, you know, yes, because we're looking at what it was like a month ago. But when you look at historically, we're still at historic low rates, right? So, and I believe, and this is my personal opinion, I believe the market has already priced into inflationary fears into the bond market. Again, that's my personal opinion. I think that's already priced in. I don't see continued spikes. And if it does continue to spike much higher, Look at what the Central Bank of Europe just did. You know, they did what's called the yield curve control, where they've actually announced last Thursday that they're going to be buying more bonds to keep the yield lower. So I really think that, you know, should bonds continue to spike, the government will intervene because the last thing they want to do is stunt recovery, right? So I think, yeah, I think rates are going to stay low. I don't think they moved enough to warrant any impact to cap rates. And I don't foresee them increasing that much more. Even another 50 basis points still wouldn't have an impact on cap rates, given that they're still historically low rates, right? So now, of course, if they continue to spike higher than that, that's a different story. I think at some point there will be some impact. But again, I mean, for those who have a longer term view where they're buying a lower cap rate today, but see a longer term view where they can create value, I think that'd be less of an issue for buyers. It is amazing to me, like just the client type that's involved in, I mean, we're focused on multifamily right now, of course, but just the quality of the institutions that are engaged in this, there's so many massive national, international players that are participating in the multifamily space that really do take a 15, 20, 30, 50 year investment horizon strategy. So they basically, they're not even looking at what the cap rate is today. They're trying to do 20-year IRR or 30 IRR, which really kind of throws sort of our standard, typical investment thought process, underwriting process out the window. So I probably tend to agree with you, Michael, that the cap rates are going to remain low for at least the foreseeable future, aside from the fact that some unforeseen interest rate spike or bond yield spike. We've only got a couple minutes left, so let's move into just another jurisdiction, Halifax, which is really quite almost the opposite story to what we've seen in Montreal and the rest of the country. Their COVID impact has been fairly minimal, very few positive cases, a fairly open and active economy. What kind of stuff have you seen in the real estate space there? Yeah, Latin Canada has done extremely well. I mean, vacancy rates remain very low across the board, haven't been really impacted by COVID. I mean, of course, maybe there was some impact, but construction, we're very, very active in construction financing at Atlantic Canada, especially under the CMHE Flex program, which is, you know, we could offer up to 95% financing subject to the overall rental income of the project being 10% below market. We're doing a lot of projects and it's really unbelievable how quickly these projects are being rented up. And I'm not even talking about core Halifax, even a little bit on the outskirts as well are, are just being rented very quickly. Demand is very strong. And yeah, it's really Almost minimal impact, really. I mean, it's we really haven't felt any drastic changes in that market. It's just it's just continue its way and continues to perform very well. So then, Michael, your purview is Quebec and Atlantic Canada. 
And we're almost out of time here, so this might be a good closing thought. Where would you invest your money right now? And if you want to get granular on it, what asset class? Yeah. So for me, again, Montreal, like I said it kind of before, maybe I gave it away, but I believe Montreal is going to rebound the quickest of all cities in Canada. So for me, I definitely put my money in Montreal. I definitely put my money in multi-res or industrial. If I was an industrial guy, I would definitely invest in industrial. I think you look at rents in industrial and other areas hitting, you know, 11, 12, 13, $14. You look at Montreal, it's hit maybe seven, eight for some good quality stuff. I think there's runway there. I think we could see 10, 11, $12 triple net rents for industrial, good industrial space. So that's definitely an asset class that I feel has continued growth and continued opportunities. So I'd be putting my money in Montreal or the outskirts in industrial and multi-res. Let me do one more question, Adam, and then we'll wrap. And a reminder to the, the people that are watching this live as Ref Club members, stay tuned. And after we kind of conclude the interview, we'll go into a Q&A that will be live for just the Ref Club members. You know what, Michael? I'm going to spare you on this. And I'm going to actually ask this question to Adam. And it's only because you mentioned it. You called it, you said the 95% loan to cost, which I'm sure any borrowers listening go, wait, you can do 95% loan to cost on a construction. And that's part of the affordable CMHC affordability flexibility program. We call it the flex program. If you haven't heard about it, Adam, can you explain the flex program in 30 seconds or less? <laughs> yeah, I think we did this one other interview as well. The 30 seconds is very tough, but it is a program designed to incentivize apartments with an affordable component to it. The theoretical maximum is 95, but there are other constraints on the project which do pull it back. That being said, you still will get superior leverage to anything you'd find uh, in the conventional market, even if you're looking at structures where you're tacking on construction seconds and at pricing that uh, is... You can't even compare the two, but you know there's two different ways to qualify for it. One is to take a the headline item is to take a 10 percent reduction in your gross rents, and the other one, and this one works really well, is if you have any affordability agreement with any level of government, you also qualify. And this gets you a great finance package that has a few benefits. One big one being that the insurance premium gets cut in about half, and you can lock in your rate much earlier. Which you know, being an interest rate rising environment like right now is of a supreme benefit. You know, a lot of times maybe you wouldn't care about it, but right now it could be invaluable to you. So if you are looking at an affordable project, even a small component of the building with an affordable project, it is definitely a program worth looking into. Aaron, that was about 45 seconds, but I think I've uh, encapsulated it. Yeah, you missed a couple things. You can term out your mortgage at occupancy certificate, which is what you're talking about, kind of getting in early, not having to take that lease out risk. And the other one that is now escaping me, oh, it was another good point. Oh, the other good one is that you only have to maintain that affordability for 10 years. And then after that 10-year period, then you can move your rents to market. So anyway, I thought it's a great program to constantly bring up because we're doing a ton of it across the country at First National. And it really is a fantastic program just for the purposes of bringing affordable units to the marketplace, something that CMHC has really done a great job of designing. So if you are in the market for building an apartment building and haven't heard about this, please, please reach out and we'll explain all the nuances and details for you because it really is a great product. With that, I will there's, wrap, a, there's, uh, a better, uh, there's a better five-minute explanation not, rather than the 45-second condensed one. Yeah, there's yeah, a yeah, five-minute yeah. explainer or maybe half-hour explainer that would be of more benefit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was just a teaser. We just wanted you to get interested if it's something that you're curious about. Anyway, Michael, thanks so much for participating. That was fantastic. Really enjoyed these first national perspectives. We'll probably have you on again near the end of the year and just talk about what's transpired in the Quebec marketplace since now. And then for the Ref Club members, stay tuned. We're going to jump into the Q&A part. For the rest of you, become Ref Club members and you can join the Q&A next time. Thanks again, everybody. Thank you.
All right, well, let's jump into the uh, commercial real estate podcast after show where we just dissect or discuss the uh, the conversation we just had. I got to start this and I, I don't think I really got it out properly in the true interview with Michael, but I got to say just the amount of respect I have for this guy. I mean, just his quality and his ability is 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 literally just incredible. What he's done for First National, I mean, I know we, we try really hard not to make these commercials for FN, but the growth, the team the success he's had. He's just doing an incredible, incredible job. The guy is just spectacular. You know, we were trying to stump him, but uh, he didn't miss a question. You know, he knows this stuff when it comes to real estate and he knows his markets inside and out. Yeah. And I mean, this, this sounds ostentatious, but he thinks identical to the way that First National thinks, right? So like, so when you don't have to have, and, and I, I maybe just preface this because, you know, I run the operations side of the business. And so he's running the Montreal, Montreal and Atlantic office. So we're constantly in conversation, but he's of course on the sales side. I'm on the, you know, the office, the operations side, but there's never this sort of push and shove. It's never like, well, why can't we do this? Or why can't we do that? Like everything is on point and understood. And so it makes it such a pleasure to work with him in, in that retrospect. And, and he knows his stuff, like clearly is very, very well adverse at everything from construction to term to conventional to CMHC. Like he's just, he, and, and, and a great leader, right? Like he's built an incredible team. And I know that he's really, really well respected. Like the guy just deserves a ton of kudos. If you listened uh, this far, I hope he's blushing when he, uh, when he hears this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's jump into the actual, you know, the discussion we had with him. I mean, I always like hearing about Quebec because it's it's kind of funny that, you know, Ontario and Quebec, two massive markets in Canada, side by side, and you know, we we have offices in both, and you know, a lot of the first national offices you have originators that tend to cross pollinate, get into different provinces. But Quebec is its its own universe to some degree. I've done a little bit of business there, but given the size of it, especially on the apartment front, how many apartments? are just a five-hour drive down the road from where we're residing. The Toronto office doesn't get into there you know, all that often because it is its own universe of finance. But I always like to hear updates updates on it. I know it's also a great opportunity you know, for the company given the size. But yeah, even like the, the way deals are underwritten there is different. The way that their structure is a little different. It's very interesting. Yeah, and, and, and to that point, like it, it is curious because I mean, we have you had that cross-pollination at times between, you know, different offices, but the borrowers, even if they're Anglophone borrowers, still have a, a desire to work with people at, inside Quebec. And so there, there is a nationalism, you know, and I, not, not to get political, uh, but it, it is, I think, a little bit more, a little bit stronger than I think anywhere else in the country. Like, I think if you're living in Saskatoon or you're, you're, you're okay to deal with somebody in Alberta, like you're, there's a little bit less sort of like, no, 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 it's got to be somebody that's local. But just in Quebec, it's, it's got to be, you know, of course it's parallel to the language uh, differences, but there's just a little bit more want to work with somebody local, which is great. And to Michael, again, you know, not to overdo it, but I mean, just the team that he's built and the, and the size of the business that we've got there now, absolutely local, right? You want to hear an embarrassing sales story about the very topic of language barriers? Absolutely. Okay. So this was uh, early on in my career at First National. A good contact I knew from uh, Toronto had moved to Quebec to run one of the big brokerages there. So I thought, great, this is a, you know, a chance to get in front of a whole bunch of brokers. We're trying to get our name out there. And so I asked if we could come do a presentation to his whole sales group. And he said, yep. And so Myself and two other people from the Toronto office hopped on a plane, did a whole lot of prep, a whole, you know, probably an hour of material and slides and numbers and everything you could ever want. And we flew to Montreal and, you know, got a good night's sleep, get in the office. We've got 35 people. They're all brokers. This is a real opportunity. 
we start speaking, hand goes up, first question, do you speak French? And uh, not one of us did, even though one of the people on our team had gone to McGill University, not a stitch of French spoken amongst us. And at that point, you can see just the eyes glazing over. And, you know, and brokers are, they're commission driven. So they're very careful with their time. And so, you know, we're, we're there for an hour by about the 20 minute part. People started getting up and walking out of the room. And, <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah, like really, really novice stuff on our part. I mean, if you're presenting in Quebec, you need a French speaker. That uh, That's kind of just 101. <laughs> and we did not uh, meet it. So a waste of time all around <laughs> for them and, and, and us. Yeah. And, and Adam no longer uh, is searching for clients in Quebec. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I've not done a deal in Quebec in quite a while. Uh, maybe that's why, maybe the reputation from that disaster spread. So yeah, lesson learned. That's a market that you really got to be boots in the ground. But you are correct though. For a lot of the rest of the country, you can, you can kind of just fly around and people don't care as much, but there is definitely a sense of internal Quebec pride there. So yeah, yeah it's not a bad yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, and, and <laughs> that was before Michael was running our Quebec office, right? So I think now you would have probably engaged Michael. He would have been like, no, I'm coming. And then now you got a French person, French speaker oh, yeah. there, right? So I would have saved you. See, that's but the value of Michael Williams, everybody, right? So, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he would have he would have avoided that uh, light switch going off moment in the room that you could, you know, just you could visibly see people disconnecting from us, <laughs> <laughs> phones coming out, and then walking oh, out. The room I, I just love them. people just walking out, be like this. I'm not even going to waste my time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the beauty of commission-driven work is that, yeah, you can't squander your time. And uh, if I'm not adding value every minute of that presentation, they're going to go. So <laughs> anyways, I guess we'll end, end on a low note today, a sales <laughs> failure. But uh, you know, for others going to that market, take that lesson for what it's worth if you didn't already know it, which I'm sure you do. Yeah, it was a failure for you, Adam, but it was a win for all of us because I think everybody's smiling and laughing at you. So that is it's still a positive. Negative for you, positive for the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I, I can see the value in that sense. <laughs> Anyways, we'll say au revoir, Quebec. You know, there's my French for the day. And uh, thanks for listening this far into the episode. Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.